Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Derby delight for United, City's winning streak ends, Liverpool's Anfield losing streak continues and hello Kai Havertz. I'm Dan Burke, this is the Premier League Weekend Review Podcast and I'm joined today once again by Angelina Kelly. Hello, lovely day isn't it? Lovely weekend of football that I'm ready to talk about. It's a lovely day, I'm not sure about the weekend but we'll, uh, we'll come on to what? that. I don't know what you're sure. We'll come on to that, we'll come on to that and I'm joined by Joel Sanderson-Murray as well. Hello. Hello, hello. Well, after I was saying to Joel on last week's podcast that one of the worst feelings as a football fan is waking up the day after a bad result and remembering what happened the day before. I had that feeling on Monday this week, which was not very nice. It's like, uh, you know, when you wake up on a weekday and you think it's the weekend and you can sleep in and then you realise it's not the weekend and you actually have to get up. It was <laughs> it was that kind of sinking feeling. But at least the City women's team won, eh, Angelina? Yeah, congrats, whatever. United yeah. women's team won as well. So ah. no, no, very good performance from you guys, one hundred percent. you're doing what you're doing well in both leagues, you know, take yeah. the L, but you know, in general, you two, you guys are doing all right. Can't win them all, can you? You can't yeah, win them all. Exactly. Literally. You've got yeah. to give the little people a chance, do you know what exactly, I mean? Exactly, yeah, yeah. Well we, we can't got... win fucking anything, so I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Again, we will come on to that. Uh, but we'll start today at the Etihad, where Manchester City's 21-game winning streak was brought to a shuddering halt by Manchester United on Sunday. Uh, United, of course, took the lead after Gabriel Jesus gave away a penalty inside the first minute. Uh, Joel, do you think that early goal ruined City's game plan, or was it not a very good game plan to begin with? Or, or had City just kind of forgotten what to do when you go behind in a game that had been so long? I think I think the latter. I'm, I'm not sure we, we actually had a chance to see what the game plan actually was. Mm. I mean, I, I imagine it was it would have been much of what we'd seen, you know, in the past three, four months, where you know they sort of retain possession and, and, and look for the open to come when they come and, and eventually break down Man United. But they didn't, they didn't really have the chance to sort of get into their groove and get into the, the swing of it. And and I think what it, it was weird to see actually. I, I I do wonder how much of a psychological effect the, the recent defeats United have had on, on City because as soon as they do go down, City look panicked and they look, you know, mortal again, which which they haven't done for mm. for a long time. You know, the twenty-one win and game win and run, and 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 you, it just didn't look like that the Man City that we've seen recently. And I guess that can happen in these big games where you do go behind. And and, and I think Gabriel Jesus sort of summed them up because he loses the ball and then. He sort of panics, and that's what leads to to um, to the penalty. Can weigh the penalty like you shouldn't really doesn't need to be there in the what ninety seconds into a, into the game. But yeah, I definitely got a chance to see that game plan, and, and it, it was really really strange to see City. Uh, look normal again yeah well they were all over the place for about 10 minutes after the first goal as well and uh, I mean there's this stat during the round that they've not uh, come from behind to win a game for 15 months now I think the last time they came from behind from two goals behind in a Premier League game was something like 2004-5 uh, so uh, it's a bit of a weird I mean the, the statistic, it's a bit of a statistical anomaly I guess because they don't go go behind very often so you know uh, it's not really like something that you would were, you were perhaps worry about as, as a long term thing but yeah as soon as that, that first goal went in everything sort of Changed everything, sort of slipped away. All this dominance that they've had in the last uh, last few weeks. Um, but on, on the flip side, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was saying afterwards that the only difference between this game and the draw with Chelsea last week is that United got the penalty they deserved. Do you agree with that, Angelina? Um, I, I don't think you can just blame the Chelsea result on 
oh, we didn't get a penalty. Um, <laughs> they, they were lacking in that game. Um, they didn't take the chances. I think it's I think it's more a case of we that we took our chances a little bit more, and they obviously paid off in the second goal. Um, yeah, we got a penalty. You can argue the Chelsea one. I don't think it was one hundred percent. That one's definitely up for debate. Um, so yeah, I feel like there was definitely more in it than just a penalty. And also, you know, props to the players. Like, it was a better performance as well. It's not all about penalties. Exactly, yeah. Well, there are... I mean, it is in the Premier League because there have now been 94 penalties in the Premier wow. League this season, which is more than in the whole of last season. I looked up the record number of penalties in the Premier League season is 106. It happened in 2009-10 and 2016-17. So they're probably going to clear that this season, aren't they? It's going to be a, a, a historic season. Do you reckon, Angelina, that's more like a, a, a VAR thing? Or is it that... It seems to me like almost like um, not just with United, but a lot of teams are now sort of trying to win penalties as, as a tactic. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I think I I wouldn't disagree with that. You know, you've got people like um, you know, like Sean Dash saying, "Oh, we we don't get penalties." Like he's properly mm. looked it up statistically. Like, <laughs> listen, we we are known for not getting enough penalties. It's like everyone's penalty crazy. Mm. I think it is definitely a VAR situation because at the end of the day. We've seen all these things happen because VAR has been brought in and whatever your opinions are, if you think it's good, if you think it's not, I think definitely it has to be addressed. There has to be a little bit more clarity because we're seeing penalties given that a few seasons ago would never in a million years have been given. Um, And then we're seeing situations where penalties should be given and they're not being given and there's just no clear lines. So yeah, I think something definitely has to change, but I think VAR is arguably the root of it. Yeah. I'm not using this as an excuse whatsoever, Joel, but do you think um, City had a decent claim for a penalty in the first half for Fred's challenge on Sterling, I think it was? I mean, it was it was one of them where he sort of, Sterling almost like put the ball through his legs and tried to run around him and Fred blocked him off. And you might say, bit of a bit of a soft one for a penalty, but I feel like anywhere else on the fa- uh, on the pitch and that's a foul. Do you know what I mean? No, yeah, I agree. You know what? As, as soon as that happened, I was I was expecting the penalty um, mm. on my first reaction, and then the sort of more replays you see, it, it is sort of one of them where it could go either way. But I, I think it was a, a rightful shout actually, and I, I was a little bit surprised he didn't get it. Um, but I, I don't know whether sometimes the referees, once they've already given a, you know a penalty that early in the game, they sometimes don't want to go and make a, a big decision mm. again um, that early on or sort of in the first half of the game. And I know that sort of sounds like they, they're not play, you know, they're playing the game and playing the, sort of the moments rather than actually doing their job, but referees have been known to do this and I sort of they don't want to then draw the attention to themselves more than they already have. And I wonder whether there's a bit of that involved in it because it, it is one, it is something. I, I, I do actually think they should have got a penalty for that. And yeah. the, the more I see it, the more I think they should have got it. But um, yeah, I, I do wonder whether Anthony Taylor might have been playing the occasion a little bit there. Yeah, well, I'm, like I say, I'm not blaming that for the result whatsoever. United were the better team, deserved to win, and uh, you know the, the, the second goal that, that killed the game came came really early in the, in the second half and was very well taken by Luke Shaw. Uh, both fullbacks were excellent for United. Aaron Wan-Bissaka had a really good game as well. You must have been impressed, Angelina, especially with Shaw. Yeah, I mean, I think it's great to see these players doing well, and I think when Wan-Bissaka arrived, I was very, I was not very concerned, but I was a little bit concerned, especially when you know, games like Manchester derbies have come up. And I think there have been times where he's definitely come unstuck against Sterling, but there have been other times. I think it was one of the FA Cup games where 
he really did manage to silence Sterling and I was very, very impressed by that. Um, and I'm not saying that he, he did that this time round, but I think the fact that he is playing well in these these big games, um, especially for his age and everything, and I think it's really great to see. But like you say, Luke Shaw, I think to see him uh, give a man of the match performance, um, a lot of people are arguing that um, he was definitely man of the match. I think it's something that United fans will be happy to see. Um you know, we all know the story. We all know about the leg break and all that type mm-hmm. of stuff. Um, but he has struggled. We've seen the likes of Brandon Williams come in. I mean, that must have been a slap in the face that this teenager's rocking up like, yeah, I'll have your position, mate. Cheers. Mm-hmm. And then you've obviously got Alex Tellers coming in and challenging him in that position. And I think the last couple of seasons have been very much sink or swim for him. And he's been doggy paddling. And I think he's <laughs> finally getting himself into uh, into a bit of a proper front crawl now. Um, and he's held <laughs> his own. Um, and I think for United fans, I think we hope it continues because back when we bought him, we paid quite a bit of money. So, mm. uh, so yeah. Yeah, I, I just did a, uh, wrote a piece for the One Football app before we started recording this on the Premier League Player of the Week, and I gave it to Shaw, and I was I was reading about uh, you know what Rio Ferdinand was saying about like he was essentially on the scrap heap at United. You know, oh, Marine, God, yeah. Mourinho was poking fun at his weight, the fans were poking fun at his weight. He you know couldn't find any consistency. Even the start of the season, he was pretty you know he was pretty shit, wasn't he? Really against uh, you know the six one defeat to Spurs. I remember him having a really bad game there and thinking, God, this guy's career is like really going down the toilet. But but now I would say he. He walks into the uh, the Premier League team of the season. He probably walks into England's team in uh, for the Euros in the summer as well. So it's been a, it's been really good uh, transformation from him. Um, another one who had, had a good game for United was Harry Maguire, who's now been involved in twenty Premier League clean sheets since the start of last season, which is more than any other player. Um, he gets a bit of stick as well, Angelina. But overall, do you think his good bits far outweigh his bad bits? For me personally, yes. I feel like there's a lot of hate, a lot of hype around Maguire. At the end of the day. We have forked out all that money. Mm. We're stuck with him. Get used to it. Like, <laughs> he ain't going nowhere anytime soon. We have spent so much money on this man. And I think we have definitely seen um, periods where the talented Maguire has been present. Um, I also think the fact that he's managed to take the captain's arm and calm down all of the drama that was surrounding that, I think that's also been a positive for United. And I think whilst Lindelof isn't a bad player, uh, maybe not the best, but not completely horrific um, I think Maguire just needs somebody who compliments him someone with a, maybe a little bit more speed and tenacity and I thought at one point maybe Eric Bailly could do that but he's injured every other minute <laughs> so I can't cope with him um, and I think this is where the need for another defender does come in because if we are going to be competing at the top we can't just make do and have these kind of half ass players alongside him I think we need to give him a good chance and kind of cut the cord with these players that aren't really cutting it, get someone a little bit more competent in that will complement him and then go from there. Yeah. I wonder with Maguire whether not just the price tag, but the link with City has kind of been a bit detrimental to him because, you know, Guardiola likes these sort of ball-playing centre-backs, you know, John Stones, I'm Eric Laporte, Ruben Diaz, all that kind of thing. And, you know, the fact that um, he was that City were in for Maguire suggested that perhaps he was that type of player. And I don't think he is really, but as a sort of pure defender, there isn't really too many better players than him in in, uh, in the Premier League, certainly, and, and perhaps not in Europe either. So, yeah, I wonder if that's held him back a little bit. Um, now, Joel, it sounds crazy to be asking this, but could Kevin De Bruyne actually be a bit of a disruptive influence on City at the moment? He, he was poor in this game. You know, he looked like he was playing with his boots on the wrong feet most of the time. <laughs> uh, Bernardo Silva and Gundogan have been playing so well recently why why disrupt a winning team it's a really interesting question isn't it um 
and and you're right to ask it because the thing is they they've been you know these accrued all these wins with Walter Boyner in the team and you've seen Gundogan flourish, you've seen Bernardo Silva flourish, and you you without De Bruyne there and and you wonder whether you know Guardiola was just sort of setting that up so they was doing without De Bruyne so, so Gundogan will play this role without De Bruyne and he maybe didn't expect it to go as well as he did maybe mm-hmm. he was just trying to fill a few gaps and and suddenly it's you know they've become the team that they have without De Bruyne in it um, but I, I'm I'm not sure De, De, Kevin De Bruyne is still probably one of if not the best player in, in the Premier League and and at some point he will find his form of fitness again I think you know he's had, he's, he's had that injury which is getting out longer than maybe you know you think actually and longer than probably expected and and maybe he should try to find sharpness again um, but the thing is when a player needs to find sharpness you sort of got to stick with him and, and keep them in the team and if he is being disruptive like he, he looked like he was on Sunday uh, again this is only one defeat though so you know we don't want to all be a bit too dramatic on it but if he is being disruptive do you take him out and, and just bring him on in games until he, he does find a sharpness but that will then take longer than it than it should do and then the fingers for City it's now a business end of the season the size of end like the, you know three or four wins away from the league and Champions League the crunch time in Champions League is coming up and you know if you think City play in the final tomorrow you still would start Kevin De Bruyne I mean yeah. I ask you that actually Dan would you start De Bruyne if you you play in the Champions League final tomorrow morning would De Bruyne be playing in that, in that game it's one of them really like he, he is not in good form at the moment but he's so good that you almost have to play him because yeah. he could get 99% of his passes wrong in a game and then he plays one through ball that wins the game you know one amazing exactly. cross or something like he did against West Ham last week um, I think his problem a little bit at the moment is that he's, he's a little bit uh, you know rusty he's got a few cobwebs after being out for a couple of months and I think he's sort of trying a bit too hard to kind of pull stuff off and be like influential and it's like Kevin we were perfectly fine without you just keep it simple like you don't need to be trying to like play Hollywood passes every single time just just get a foot on the ball and just calm things down a little bit I, so. I wonder if Gunnigan's form's got in his head a bit as well I mean, mm. maybe he didn't expect Gunnigan to do as, as well as he did in his absence and, and now he's thinking he's got to remind everyone how good he is maybe, when, yeah. when he doesn't and there's a bit of a debate among City fans about whether De Bruyne and, and Gundogan actually complement each other very, very well whether they can actually play together I think this it's a bit too early to say that but uh, Sunday's game suggested they don't complement each other and why Guardiola didn't make all his subs in that game is I will never understand that he's got uh, Bernardo Silva Fer- Ferran Torres Sergio Aguero just sat on the bench when we're chasing the game like I don't I don't get that personally but yeah um, going back to United Angelino I was thinking during this game that um, I don't think United are a great side. I think they're a good side. Um, but they do have this kind of uncanny knack of making their opponents play bad. Do you think that's a good observation? Like, I'm trying to think of uh, a game where United have beaten someone who who have played really well on the day and it's been just, you know, they've just been a little bit better. I mean, City, uh, Guardiola said City played well here, but I don't agree with him, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that you said that we're a good side. We may not be great, but we are good. Yeah, get in there, get in there. <laughs> I know haters are going to hate and all that, but at the end of the day, as terrible as people may think we have been, I am still taking that PSG and Leipzig wins <laughs> to my grave. I don't care if we didn't get out of that group. Well, you beat care. City now. You beat, you've and got it, to be a good exactly, team to beat City, yeah. Exactly. So I'm glad that you said I'm glad that you said good there. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's like some weird witchcraft that's going on. Like we just have this um, this way of making them play bad and everything. I mean, 
I think you, like you say, you know, have a word with Pep. You know, don't yeah. be coming blaming us. Do you know what I mean? Like, no, it's not. It's not. It's, it's hard to put my finger on what I mean. It's not. I'm not I even saying United mean. are lucky. I'm just saying that they sort the way they play makes the other team play shit. It's no, it's weird. Like, yeah, no, I, I totally get what you mean. Um, I, I'm only messing there, but I, I yeah, no, I do get yeah. what you mean. But um, I've, there is a way that we seem to unpick these teams at times, and I think when we've got that possibility to counter and create those ones and have that energy. And when we're given the ability to do that, there are chances. And I think that if we had, no disrespect to Martial at all or Cavani, but if we had a decent centre-forward that can actually capitalise on those chances, I think we probably would have had some some better results than the ones that we've had. But I do agree with you. They do have this way of unpicking teams and you're not really... I guess it is a bit witchcrafty in a way because you're not too sure how it happens. You're like, hang on a minute. Like you, you're looking at this game and you're thinking, mm, United might be lucky to get something here. I mean, I'll be honest, like the lead up to that derby, I was like, I'll take a draw. I'll take a draw. I'll take a nil-nil. I'll take whatever. I'll take a one-nil loss. Like, But these things happen. Um, and I think with a derby, you know, I was talking to my friends before the game and saying like, I guess you can say that form goes out the window and all that type of mm. stuff. And I had a weird feeling about that game. I did as well, actually. Because I just thought there's so much on the line here, as in the run that you guys had been on, the fact that Henderson was in goal. I was thinking this could go really, really bad for us <laughs> in some ways. But then also it could, well, and did, sorry, but go yeah. bad for you guys ending that run. So it, I did have that feeling. But yeah, I, I think it is a good observation in that whatever it is that they managed to do, with some of these teams, they do have a way of unpicking them. Yeah, when City really sort of ran out of steam in that second half, I was thinking of the, you know, the episode of The Simpsons when Homer's the boxer and his tactic is just to let the guy <laughs> yeah. punch him and punch him and punch him until they just fall down dead from tiredness. Like, I wonder if there's a bit of that United. They just sort of sit back and go, come on, just just come at us and play and you'll you'll run out of ideas eventually and we'll just hit you on the break. Yeah. Which, yeah, fair enough. Um, Joel, make me feel better here. Might this might this defeat actually help City go for, going forward and, and stop a little bit of complacency creeping in, you know, especially with the Champions League coming and, and that sort of thing. I mean, I was reading that, that Guardiola has a quote from Marcelo Bielsa written on the wall of his office, which says, the moments in my life when I've improved are closely related to failure. The moments I've regressed are closely related to success. Is that the right attitude to have or is that a bit live, laugh, love, do you think? I was going to say, is that serious? Does he actually have that? Yeah, he has that. He has that and he has a verse from um, Rock and Roll Star by Oasis. Very prefer, weird guy, isn't he? But yeah. I prefer that. But I mean, the first one sounds like it should be on like a sunset background. Yeah, or yeah definitely. I mean, it, 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 it makes you think. Uh, hashtag makes you think. But um, I think it's it, right. There's two. There's two alternatives to this. I think one, the complacent things are good. Um, a point because it sort of realizes their values a bit, and in a way, it, it gets it gets a sort of. The, the idea that they'll go slip up at some points off the back, and and when you go on these big winning runs and unbeaten runs, you know, you, you know, everyone starts talking about, oh, keep down for the rest of the season. Can you break these records? And sometimes the pressure can sort of weigh you down a bit. So maybe it's a good thing in a way that it's now off the back because they're still going to win the league, um, barring any dramatic fallouts, um, and you know they can now sort of realign their values a bit and, and focus on and, and get back in there into the Champions League and, and trying to win that because they've been reminded them more so reminded that they still need to, you know, put a hundred percent into win games that they can't take the foot off the gas. But there's also a little thing that would be if you know. And I, I had it last season with Liverpool when, when we lost our uh, unbeaten run to Watford and um, got beat 3 0. We, we, we then 
really slipped up a bit after that. Is mm. once, and you see a lot with a lot of teams in, in, in down in history, teams that go on these big and beaten runs. Once they lose the first game, they then go and sort of slip up again um, in the next, you know, let's say five six games and. Um, if you remember the Invincibles Arsenal's team, they get beat by United and then they play a game and they, they draw the game against Crystal Palace afterwards, I think. And I think there's another game in between that and then they go and lose Liverpool at Anfield a couple of weeks later. And it's it's just one of them. I'm, I, I think it's a purely a psychological thing is that you sort of get in your head a bit and you are reminded that you're mortal in, mm-hmm. in, in, a, in a bad way. And I think that would be sort of playing on City's mind. But I think with... With the intensity of Pep Guardiola and, and what he's about, and you know, sort of the quality of this team, I don't think there's anything to worry about too much. But I definitely sort of makes it the next couple of games a bit more interesting for City and and neutrals watching it. Mm. Well, speaking of uh, bad results potentially sl- snowballing, <laughs> the, the, the shock of the weekend took place at Anfield on Sunday where Liverpool were beaten 1-0 by relegation battling Fulham. Or, or was it a shock, Joel? I mean, given Liverpool's current form, did you did you half expect them to falter here, perhaps especially when you saw the, the team sheet? Yeah, I don't think it's a shock at all. Um, the way I felt sort of, as soon as I saw that team, but even, go, even going into it, I think I, what was in conflict when I woke up on Sunday um, and you, you see the team and it's, he makes seven changes, and I, and it's a tough one for the manager because I think he does have to make some changes. One because of the form that they've been on, but two, you know, he's got one eye on, on RB Leipzig in the Champions League in midweek. Um, but I th- he's kind of thrown it in a bit, and that's, that's a weird thing to sort of question the manager and question Liverpool, and, and and no team would ever throw in a game, but. You don't put you know Nico Williams, Reese Williams, and and Nat Phillips as, as three of your back four. And he can't tell me you're expecting to win that game or that he had enough confidence in the team to win that game. You know, the, the six in front of them, the midfielders and the attackers were good enough to go and win, but he he knows that he, he doesn't he hasn't got faith for nothing in those three players and he's proven that by sort of the the way they've gone about the rest of the, the season before. Um and it just wasn't a shock at all. And as soon as the game starts, you just never felt the group were right. Mm. The balance was off. Fulham came with a game plan and played played the first forty five minutes to perfection. And it, it just it just wasn't a shock. It's just Liverpool got so used to losing now and it, it's so weird to see. And because literally a year ago to the day on, on Sunday, they'd beaten Bournemouth two one to go twenty five points clear right, yeah. um at the top of the Premier League and you literally no, how can you go a year after that and 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 you see Liverpool in the state they're in now? I mean, if Aston Villa win their games in hand, Liverpool will be ninth. Liverpool, yeah. And and I I don't think they deserve to be any higher than that, and possibly a little bit lower. And, and there's a chance here Liverpool can finish in the bottom half of the table. And it's so bizarre to see, and and it's just as soon as Liverpool form go one 0 up, uh, and the time you go one 0 up before half time as well is 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 the killer, but. Never ever felt like Liverpool were ever going to go back into that game, and it's a sorry state that they're in now, but I'm not sure how to get out of it either. Yeah, well, Liverpool's injury problems have been well documented this season, and you know, this seems to be getting worse every week at the moment. And the lack of fans at Anfield has clearly had an effect on them too. But six home defeats in a row, Angelina, are we almost at the point where there's no real explanation for, for what's happening here? It's, it's unlike anything we've ever really seen. It is a weird one and I think you of course have to take the injuries into account. Mm. Um, they're missing some big, big names but with a team like the one that they've got, you know, some of the players who aren't injured, you know, have arguably been, you know, some of the best names in, in Europe, mm. you know, to an extent. So it's like, so 
I would imagine, I don't know, Joel, but I would be a little bit frustrated. Like, why are they not stepping up a little bit more? Um, and it looks like, from my perspective, it just seems like everyone's a bit burnt out. I think it's hard to keep consistently at the level that they have been for the last two seasons. Um, and I think it is a case of mentally maybe it's taken its toll. There's just no energy. Like, it's not even that they're just like, they're playing bad and everything. But it's like you said, Joel, like you didn't really see them being able to bounce back and get that win. Like, there just didn't seem to be any energy. And, like, I did have a bit of respect for Klopp that he said he was honest in the post-match interview and he's like, this is a low, like, it's a serious low. But then the way he was like, oh, we're just an extreme team. Like, <laughs> I don't really know if that's an excuse. Like, oh, we're extremely good and we're extremely bad. Um, I don't think that's okay. I don't think you can just write it off like, dear diary, um, lost today, but, you know, we're extreme. It was an extreme loss. We lost in a brilliant way, yeah. Yeah, you know, it was a dramatic loss, I must say. Um, but I guess for me, an outsider looking in, I guess it's hard to find an explanation other than maybe it is just a case of some kind of mental and physical exhaustion. Uh, injuries obviously had an effect and, and, and you, you lose the players that you do, three players in the same position, that's going to have a killer on any team. But it's, it's this is far beyond the injuries now and, and it has been for a while. I mean, the injuries stopped Liverpool winning the league and then, you know, and, and, and man, even if Liverpool had had Van Dijk and Gomez available, Man City are probably too good to even Liverpool to win the league this season mm-hmm. anyway. But, there's still Liverpool still have enough quality to get in the top four and finish in the top four, especially in the in the fact that a lot of the teams up there are inconsistent. Liverpool can still finish in the top four now, and the fact that they, they made, named the team that he did on Sunday was r- ridiculous in a way because he wrote that game off. When if Liverpool had won, they would have been still four points off it, even if Chelsea had won last night. Um, so Liverpool will still be in the question, but but now it looks way beyond them. And and, and the thing is, I, I don't think we can put this down to injuries now because the injuries are coming in defence. And okay, the, the whole team has had to reshape, and you've now had to use your best midfielders in defence and, and that kind of thing. But Liverpool's defender's not been the problem, apart from Sunday. It takes Sunday out of it for a second. Mm. Liverpool's defender's not been a problem for, in, in this run. Um, it's going forward and creating the yeah. chances, scoring the goals. And you still had Mo Salah, Sadio Mane and Roberto Firmino on the pitch for the majority of these games. So it's, the criticism's got to come to those three players and, and you know, possibly Thiago and, and Wijnaldum behind them. Uh, and the manager. And I don't think they can all avoid criticism anymore. It's, mm. it's not just injuries anymore. This has gone way beyond that. What do you make of these suggestions that uh, Salah and Mane don't get on particularly well together, Joel? I mean, I, I was thinking back to last season. I thought I thought Mane was was the player of the season in the Premier League last season, and, and his his drop off I think has been uh, it's gone under the radar a little bit. I would say I don't think people are really talking about it that much because I guess Liverpool have probably got you know bigger problems. But could you see one of those players being sold in the summer? And and if they had to sell one of them, who would who would be your preference to go? Do you think? I think whenever teams like this, big teams get into a bit of a crisis, then these little stories break out about you know Salah and about players not getting on. And, and I don't remember the Burnley game last season when yeah, that's um, right, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, <laughs> doesn't pass the money, and money kicks off and he goes on the bench. They've always had a bit of a thing, but you know, a lot of a lot of um, partnerships had in the past, like Teddy Sheringham and and the Cole didn't get on. United and, yeah. and Luis Suarez and Daniel Sturridge <laughs> really inspired each other at Liverpool um, I think this is going to happen I don't think it matters too much to be honest um, I don't think there's anything that's really detrimental but obviously when things are negative as they are it's, it's something you can use to sort of bake, bake them again and, and, and hit Liverpool with a stick with um, as for sort of selling one of them 
I, I don't think so, but there, there is going to be a question now of the Bloom getting into the Champions League. They are, there's still a bit of a rebuild to do, and I don't think it's as dramatic as anyone as everyone would think, despite right now I'd tell all of them. But um, I, still, <laughs> I still think like um, they, they are possibly going to have to sell one of them, if not two of that front three, to fund a rebuild, let's say. Um, I don't think it'd be as dramatic as selling all three or anything like that. Um, from my preference... I mean, that's a difficult one. I'm not sure there's an answer to that. Yeah. I obviously love Mo Salah, he's the finisher. But in terms of all-round football, I would go Sadio Mane. And I agree with you, sort of last season, I think he was the player of the year. And, and obviously, I'd never really want to sell any of the choice. But if I was going to pick one, I, w- I would pick to keep Mane. Um, just because I think he just sort of can, can light up a game in that. And, and, and Salah's a great finisher, but I think Salah, Mane's a better footballer. Yeah, I think Salah's probably... The- the what he's he's the one who's always sort of flirted with the idea of going away, hasn't it? He's always been a bit sort of uh, oh we we can't talk about this right now in interviews and that kind of thing. And yeah, his agent putting the full stop on when he got brought off last week on Twitter and stuff. So yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all if uh, if his Liverpool career ended in the summer. Um, you mentioned about about them potentially missing out on top four. I mean, it, it seems pretty likely now. How serious is that for Liverpool? Do you think if they don't get it, could could there even be a possibility that it's a good thing that they don't have to play Champions League football next season and they can sort of focus on getting back to where they were in the league? I would I would say that I, in in any normal season, to be honest, I, I would say Liverpool have obviously got a lot of work to do and a lot of work on the training field, and and I think like any team needs time on the training field. But you know, Ian Klopp keeps mentioning it over and over that he's just not had enough time on on the grass this this season, and in, in a way, sort of he needs to get over that because no one has, and and other teams have managed to deal with it. And Liverpool were champions last season, and they should, they were already in a good position. But there is a, there is an element of if they don't have any any European football, he can realign his team again, and he has a week to prepare for games next season. Um, but and 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 to be honest, I'd be happy with that. I you know I wouldn't be happy, but I'd be relaxed about that if I was a fan. If it was in any normal season, but you've got this 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 COVID world, and where we had no fans in and no revenue for a, you know a year now. And maybe that'll go on a little bit longer. And Liverpool, like every team, has felt the financial effect of that. And I think if Liverpool don't have Champions League football, they, they obviously then miss out on the money from that as well. And mm. and, and it's and as sad as this to say, money is making the football world go around. And and I think that could be catastrophic for them. That I mean, this this thing at the moment, as you know, called it sort of a, a crisis and a catastrophe in in sort of the analysis on Sunday. It's still a, a blip. And it's still something that can be sort of reserviced and reshaped in the summer or in the next few weeks. But if Liverpool don't get into the Champions League, this is something that could have everlasting effects and could last for, you know, a season, two seasons, because they'll play and catch up again. And it's just so bizarre to say that from the position that they were in last season. But yeah. I think they have to get Champions League football and the fact that they're not going to now. It's it's gonna be tricky. I'm not hey, sure how they You might out. win the Champions League, mate, don't worry. You know what? It wouldn't surprise me. One hundred percent. It surprised me <laughs> that you would have this form that you've had in the Premier League at the moment, but you'd go on to get to a Champions League final. That just screams, you guys. Mm. <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> uh, what about Fulham, though, Angelina? Um, I mean, I thought they were excellent here, especially sort of clinging onto the clean sheet at the end. Uh, we said last weekend's draw with Crystal Palace was a bit of a missed opportunity for them, but they grabbed this opportunity with both, hand- both hands. If they stay up, is Scott Parker in the conversation for Manager of the Year for you? Ooh, 
you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm entertaining that thought. I mean, it looked bleak at times for yeah. Fulham, let's be honest. The beginning <laughs> of the season, I think they had a rude awakening, didn't they? And I guess sometimes it can just take times, uh, time for teams to you know, gel a little bit for the managers to maybe get things right, things to develop. Maybe that's what's happened here. I think they, they deserve the win. Um, I think that, you know, Scott Parker's done well. Apparently there have been some changes kind of behind the scenes. I think that he's managed to change the mentality of the team. I think the way that they started, things looked really bad and everyone completely wrote them off. I think to be able to turn things around the way that he has, I think it's great that he's managed to rally the team to get them playing with a lot more tenacity. Um, he definitely deserves some respect. And I think if they continue to keep up the good work and they finish in a respectable position, then why not? You know, a manager of the season sh- shouldn't always be, you know, the the top, top teams. You know, why not appreciate teams a little bit lower down that, yeah, maybe they're not challenging for Champions League places, but they've still done well in the league. And, you know, they've been unlucky in so many games, like you mentioned, and obviously the game against Spurs as well, you could argue. And a lot of the games have been lost by just like one goal or maybe a draw, etc. So if they can learn how to turn some of those games around, props to them and props to uh, to Parker. Yeah, we were saying a few weeks ago that I don't necessarily think the uh, the manager of the season should go to like the league winners. It should go to someone who has sort of performed above and beyond what was yeah, expected put in the of graph, them. Definitely. Yeah, and, 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 you know, before the season started and even after about six weeks of the season I would have said Fuller would definitely going down so yeah. if he keeps them up I think that's a, a phenomenal achievement but uh, I don't think he'll be winning any fashion awards anytime soon <laughs> no the, the fashions we need to discuss on, yeah. on another day because they're just yeah no, I'm not happy with that I must say that jacket he was wearing at Anfield was a disgrace Burn frankly. It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know you though <laughs> it was very 80s band rock I'm all for it screams Joel yeah it does actually it does yeah. <laughs> well Liverpool's slip up gave Tottenham fresh impetus in their hunt for top four and they ran out 4-1 winners over Crystal Palace on Sunday night uh, Jose Mourinho pointed out afterwards that Spurs are now only the second team in Europe's top five leagues after Bayern Munich to hit the 100 goal mark in all competitions this season and uh, you know how that's not bad for a supposedly negative team but Joel is, is that kind of Mourinho's biggest problem at this point in his career he's almost motivated by spite about what, what others say about him rather than actually finding a way to adapt his methods to, to the kind of demands of the of the modern Premier League I would say he's all glitter isn't he in, yeah. in the way that like you know you know a band playing Glastonbury would, would sort of use loads of confetti cannons and, <laughs> and big lights to hide the fact and the fact that you know the music they're playing and the singing isn't that great <laughs> And I, I think he is sort of... He, he He's is muse, all... basically, isn't he? That's what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, <laughs> that's who I was thinking as well, actually. <laughs> He's he basically Matt Bellamy. Um, the, 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 the thing is, it's, if it works for them, and it works for Spurs, and I, and I guess that's maybe a good thing, but he never, he, when Mourinho was at the height of his powers, he was never totally like that. He, lo- he loved getting into people's heads, but he, he wasn't sort of... And purely fueled by the haters kind of vibe was he? He was, you know, he was a very good coach and a very good technical coach in his day. And and yeah, it's it's a bit of a weird one. He's sort of trying to always. I think he's trying to remain relevant and and by sort of picking fights with 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 journalists and and, and other managers and, and sort of saying you know I proved you wrong. Ha ha ha. That's how he keeps himself relevant, <laughs> but. I think it's weird. I don't think he needs to do it. But if Tottenham do get top four and, and he's he's done that and they've done it by scoring as many goals as they have, you know, in all competitions, then 
then I guess that, that's worked and, and he's done his job this season. Yeah, I can understand his frustration because I don't think he probably does get the respect he deserves for his, his record um, mm. prior to the last few years. But, you know, people are commenting on the last few years, aren't they, really? That's, that's been his problem. His time at United was, was, was rubbish. His time at Spurs hasn't been great so far. I mean, what he doesn't tell you about those 100 goals is that 46 of them have come in the Premier League. So the rest of them have come in the Carabao Cup and the um, Europa League against Marine in the FA Cup. So um, 46 makes them the fifth highest scorers in the league at the moment. I mean, doesn't that mean he's, he's, he's sort of proven himself wrong there, Angelina? It, it kind of shows to me that there's goals in this team. And if you encourage them to push forward, never mind top four, they could have been in with a shout of the title this season. Mm-hmm. This is the thing, I, I agree with everything you guys are saying, you know, maybe not about Muse, because Supermassive Black Hole is an absolute hit, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Joking, of course. <laughs> but um, but no, this is the thing, this is the thing about Jose Mourinho, you know, he wants respect. Mate, that's what retirement's for. Once you've retired, yeah. I'm sure people will start putting respect on your name, but... Do not be bringing us stats to try and mask over the issues at hand. I would have a lot more respect for him if he was just honest. Mm. Like, why he's got to play all of these games. And listen, I've seen it firsthand. I've been at a Mourinho press conference. <laughs> I have seen the tricks that he pulls. Um, <laughs> and do you know what I mean? Like, he, he did things like that at United and you'd be like, I don't care about whatever stats you're pulling out of your ass. We're still <laughs> playing shit. Like, bottom line, we're still not good enough. I don't care about your stats, mate. And it's like, you can imagine him sat at the computer, like Googling stuff, like desperate or sending his assistant to try and find out the best stats for him. It's like, you know, like if you're like a naughty kid at school Mm. that you just won't behave, you won't do what you're supposed to do, but you get an A in PE because you're dead good at football. So you think, right, if you go home and you lead with the A, then your parents aren't going to be mad that you're still not doing as you're told. They're going to be like, oh my God, he got an A. Yeah, it's like, you know, masking things up like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It's like, congrats on the A, but fix up. And I just feel like, <laughs> you know, why are we talking about stats to try and prove why this team is good? Because this team does have the potential to be very, very good. You know, you look at the likes of Son, Kane and Bale, especially with his form, um, seeming to be reignited. They could be electric in the Premier League. And if he spent more time perhaps focusing on his players... And, you know, one of my things about Mourinho is I don't like the way that he speaks sometimes about his players in the media. And I think mm. the way that he spoke about Deli Ali, trashing him at times, if he would have maybe put an arm around the kid and maybe he would have rediscovered his form a little bit earlier or maybe it wouldn't have been as terrible for him. And I just feel like he doesn't always protect his players as well as he should. And I saw it a lot at United. And that's one of the reasons why I, I do rate Solskjaer is I do feel like he does protect players a little bit more. Mm. But yeah, I just feel like coming out in interviews and saying the things that he's saying and trashing players at times when I just feel like, why are you doing that to the media? Because you know exactly what the UK media are like. You know they're going to jump at it. You know it's going to cause drama. Just stay in your lane, focus <laughs> on your team, and just get them playing better because that team is a, is a good team on paper. And if they made one or two extra signings, they could seriously be competing. And like you say, you know, if they'd have pushed forward a little bit more, they could have been in a shout for that top four, if not more. Mm. I feel like his problem is, uh, you know, wherever he goes, it's Jose Mourinho FC, isn't it? You know, he's, exactly. he's the self-styled special one. And, and when it's winning, when things are going well, everyone wants tickets to the Mourinho show. But 
as soon as the winds dry up, it's like, well, what else have you got, Jose? What drama. else have you got? Yeah, drama. That, and that is it's just distraction tactics <laughs> Honestly, all the time. Honestly, he but. should get a gig on like the Real Housewives of <laughs> uh, of London or something, if that's a thing, because I think that's where he would be better off in some reality TV drama. Yeah, I mean, Tottenham one four one, and all we're talking about is what a bell end their manager is, basically, <laughs> exactly. aren't we? So <laughs> uh, anyway, nine wins, seven draws, and twelve defeats for Palace. Now they've got thirty four points from twenty eight games. Last season they had thirty six points at this stage last season they finished with 43 um, so by my maths Joel if they take 9 points from the last 10 games they will match last season's tally and you know you'd, you'd imagine they will get more than 9 points in the last 10 games it's not terrible news is it really for them no they'll probably stay up now um, I, you know I pretty much see themselves getting you know, at least 2 more wins for the end of the season which would be more than enough mm. um, I don't know whether that's sort of Taking advantage of the fact that there are more than three teams worse, well, definitely three teams worse than them, um, and two are in the bottom two already. Um, but the, the thing is with, with Palace, and I'm not sure they, they should be, I'm not sure the supporters will, will agree that they shouldn't be accepting that and they mm. shouldn't be just settling for survival, not necessarily by the skin of their teeth, but it is survival, um, you know, every, every season because the team they've got, especially the, the attack and talent that they have. You know, like you know, Wilf Sahar and Eze and, and even Mateta who's come in and not necessarily proved himself just yet. You know, he's got a good goal against Brighton. Um, but in those three names, and even the, they've even got like the talent end as well, they, they should be looking for more. They should be sort of pulling a few more noses in the league. And and I think what they do, they are set up enough just to get enough res- points to stay in, in the league. And I guess in, if that's Roy Hodgson's MO, he, he does his job every season yeah. and fair play to him. But I, I think Crystal Palace should be doing a bit more than that. And I think they've got a bit more attack and talent than some of the teams in the top half already. And and um, and it's, it's they've got a weird summer coming up because there's 15 players out of contract and and you're wondering whether, you know, there is, is there going to be a bit of a reshape? Is Hodgson going to stay? And I think it's going to be an interesting summer to sell here's part, but I think they should be aiming a little bit higher than what they, they've been achieving in the last couple of years. Yeah, they're another one. I just think if, if you show a bit more ambition, you could you know, yeah. you could easily trouble the top half of the table, if not higher. Fortune favours the brave and all that, they say, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Uh, well, Chelsea are up to fourth following a 2-0 win over Everton on Monday night. Chelsea now unbeaten in 11 games, and there's no doubt at all that their decision to sack Frank Lampard and hire Thomas Tucker was the right one. Angelina, are you pretty sure they'll get top four now? And, and will they challenge for the title under Tucker next season? I think if they carry on, um, why, why not? Um, I think, as I mentioned on, on the last podcast, some teams may dip. And I'm not just going to say like, oh, it's going to be teams like West Ham or Everton, 100% going to dip kind of thing. But, you know, teams like Leicester with the injury issues they've got, Man United could dip. That mm. wouldn't surprise me. Um, so there, there might be opportunities for them to get some, you know, important points that will maintain their position in top four. If they don't with that team, as a Chelsea fan, I'd be fuming, I'll be honest. Um, and I think that once the manager has, um, you know, the summer transfer window to see what he wants to get. I mean, I don't think that money's money doesn't seem to be an option, um, um, an issue, sorry. And um, I think once he's got time to assess the team um, and know what he wants, how he wants them to play, etc., which he's already doing already, but I think to have the, the summer to sit down and have a think, I think he could definitely challenge. I know a lot of people might argue, uh, Chelsea haters might argue that, oh, well, you're just going off PSG, you had amazing players, it's the <laughs> Farmers League, blah, blah, blah. He's got amazing players now. <laughs> Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you can argue about what kind of league the Premier League is in comparison, but it's healthy competition. It's an exciting league. He has got 
some of Europe's greatest players, um, especially the two two or three that they signed last summer. Um, and they, they could be in the market for more with the rumours that are going round. You don't know. So I think um, he can definitely get them playing well enough to compete. I think they're the second best team in the league, Dan. And I think, you know, the start of the season, the squad that they had going into it, I think if you're on Football Manager and you get an unlimited budget, you're probably getting close to the squad they've got. Um, and as Angelina said there, the, the, the players, I mean, the players he had on the bench last night, you, you've got the likes of Pulisic, Giroud, um, Zayek and um, Mount on the bench. Mm-hmm. And, and the team that they put out was still really, really strong. Yeah. And, and the thing is, I, I think it says a lot about Frank Lampard that he didn't manage to get a tune out of them. Uh, or didn't for long enough, and they, what they got now is uh, Tuchel has got to prove himself because obviously at PSG, you know, we had unlimited resources there, and, and you know, and he, he sort of questioned whether you know any manager can go there and win the league. I'm not sure if necessarily the case, but that's what people say. But what he's doing now, he, he, he's he's now <laughs> he's now got a one hell of a team to work with, and he, he's proved himself to be you know a world class coach. And I think there is serious problem. I think in Man City next season. When they sort of look at how they're going to prepare to retain the title, I think Chelsea, rather than Liverpool or Man United, are going to be the ones that they should be worried about. Yes, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, Kai Havertz, you mentioned him here. He had a hand in both goals here, and it was a performance that looked like he's really started to settle in the Premier League now. Um, Joel, did you did you doubt him at any point, or did you, did you always expect his, his quality would shine through eventually? Oh, always rated him. I, I did, you know. We would have saw last season at Leverkusen how good he was, and you know, you know, the couple of years before that, how good he's been at Leverkusen. Um, I remember sort of when the first lockdown, the halcyon days of that, when mm. sort of the Bundesliga came back first, and everyone could see, you know, what the Bundesliga games have heard sort of shone in the first couple yeah. of weeks of that, and and it, he was high on everyone's mind then. Um, I, I did worry in terms of, sort of doubting him in the Premier League. I did worry for him because. You know, he's not really got a sort of outright position just yet. Uh, he's not nailed that down. He's still young, so it's, he's got a lot of time to sort of perf- perfect that. And um, I did worry whether the physical physicality of the league might be six and wild to get used to. And, and because he didn't have position, he, he sort of couldn't get, you know, play the same area every week and sort of get himself set up that way. But it's coming through now, and I wonder whether the fact he's got two Kel and they could sort of, you know, most of the time, and Havertz speaks perfect English, but he can speak in you know, German with, with Tuchel, and, and maybe that helps him. Mm. Um, and I, I think his quality will shine through. I think you know next season we'll see a bit more than now. But last night he played in a false nine, and I do wonder whether that could be his best position. And and obviously Lampard probably couldn't play him there because he had to sort of try and get Werner ready and play Werner up front and. I stick him there, but have it, you know, Tuchel's not bothered about that. Tuchel will play the team he wants and the formation he wants to get the results. And mm. and if he's found his Havertz's area, Havertz could play false nine, and, and and Chelsea could reap the benefits of that. I think we'll start to see the best of him now. Yeah, and he's what twenty years old, so he's got plenty of time. The world at his feet, hasn't he? Definitely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this was Everton's first away defeat since they lost at Newcastle in November. Uh, it leaves them four points behind Chelsea with a game in hand. They're still well in the hunt for for top four but Angelina do you think their meek performance in here suggests they might just fall short this season um I I think so I mean I guess technically looking at the table and points and etc with Chelsea then they should be able to be competing pretty healthily with with Chelsea taking away what teams they are just looking at where they are in the table they've not done that but I think that um Everton fans should and will be happy with this season. Mm. This is probably the first season in a while where they've had real hope of competing 
not just in the mix for a European spot, but in that top four. Um, I think it's a very exciting time um, for Everton, and I think they shouldn't be dismayed if they if they do slip, which I think they could. Um, and like I've said, numerous teams could slip, not just hating on Everton here, but if they do slip and they drop a couple of positions, I don't think that they should be disheartened by it. I think they should take it as a really, really good season that they've had. Mm. I think maybe, um, you know, giving Ancelotti the summer, um, maybe they bring in one or two more players, um, and providing they can continue this and keep it up and uh, be consistent leading into next season, then I think on the whole, you you can't really be angry as an Everton fan. I'm the sorry, Joel, to remind you, but they, they got that win over yeah. over Liverpool as well. Um, so all in all, I, I think they should be happy. <laughs> well, I think uh, I think you're going to like this stat, Joel. I think this sums up Everton. Um, to a T, really, in terms of their their sort of Premier League career, if you will. So Ben Godfrey's own goal here was Everton's 53rd in the Premier League, which is seven more than any other club in the competition's history. So that that sort of (laughs) says to me that, you know, they've been an ever-present in the league for this whole time, but the time in in the Premier League has sort of been characterised by shooting themselves in the foot. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, even though it doesn't matter how shite it is at Liverpool at the moment, the fact is Everton can still rem- remind you that they are Everton and that <laughs> they remind themselves that they are Everton. And at some point this season, they will remember that they are Everton and they'll do something very Everton. And that's great. That'll do me. <laughs> do you know what? It, it, I don't, Everton might not get top four, but if they don't finish again above Liverpool at this this point now, I think uh, you know this is a, a great opportunity to do just that. Oh, they'll so. make t-shirts and DVDs to do it. Dan, don't fair play to them. Fair play to them. I don't blame mm. them one bit. One bit. Yeah. <laughs> Up the Duffies. In Monday's other match, West Ham kept their European hopes alive and kicking with a 2-0 win over Leeds. Uh, Declan Rice and David Moyes both said afterwards that they weren't happy with West Ham's performance. Does that tell you everything about how their expectations have shifted this season, Angelina? 100%. I love that. (laughs) Um, Like, yeah, we won 2-0, but I'm not having it. Not happy with it. We need to do better. And you know what? Good for them, because at the end of the day, they are in a position in the league where I think they can be saying things like that. I mean... We always have this idea that West Ham, you know, st- stay in your lane, know who you are, be humble. Why not be a little bit like we should have done better? Why not aspire for more and aspire for greatness? Yeah. So, I've, you know what? I think that's good that they're able to say, yeah, we won, um, but we should have done better and blah, blah, blah. That, that's, that to me says that this team has a lot of confidence um, in their ability and what they are capable of. And I think props to them. Um, as much as I'm maybe not David Moyes' biggest fan, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think it's great to see teams like West Ham coming up. And, you know, they've always... When you look at West Ham over the years and the transfer windows, like, they've, they've spent, you know, a, a fair bit of money over the years and they've invested in these players and it's never really worked out. And the pieces of the jigsaw have never really managed to slot together. And, and now they have. And... Uh, you know, good for them, I guess. Yeah, I read an article recently where it was sort of totting up all the money that West Ham had spent uh, on strikers um, in in the last, you know, however many years, since Carlos Tevez or whatever. And they finally found their ideal striker and the guy who's supposed to be a right-back, Mikel Antonio, (laughs) is converted. That just... That just reeks of West Ham to me. That that, that yeah. sums them up perfectly. Uh, Moyes was saying before the game that he thinks Declan Rice is worth more than £100 million. Um, do you agree with that, Joel? And, and how important do you think it is that West Ham keep that Rice and Suchek partnership going, going uh, for, yeah. forward? I'm not sure any footballer's worth over £100 million. But, you know, if I guess Moyes has to say that to sort of big up, big up his guy, big up his player. And if, you know, if someone does come in for Rice in the next two years, he probably goes, what, 70, 80? Um, but I think 
he's been brilliant. He's improved this season, and I think that partnership is, you know, has been one of the best midfield partnerships in the league. Um, they really complement each other really well because I think they both can do each other's jobs very well. And um, when one wants to go and strides forward, the other can sit, and uh, vice versa. And, and, and they're both strong. Both can get around the pitch enough, and they've been great. And, and West Ham have, have you know scored a little gem there in Suchek because mm. not many Premier League teams are buying players from the Czech League are they um, and you know they should they, check they, it out really hey. <laughs> <laughs> clip that um, <laughs> <laughs> and they would go and sign Suchek and Kufel who've been you know, two of the best performers still season so you know, fair play to recruitment team at West Ham for discovering that Mm. Uh, Marcelo Bielsa was saying afterwards that he felt Leeds deserved something from this game and you know they created some chances but they couldn't find a goal in the end they've scored 43 goals this season conceded 46 Angelina do you think it's more important that they look to improve their defence in the summer or is a, a, you know a, a top quality striker what's going to sort of take them to the next level See, this is a tough one because when you look at the players that they've invested in, they have probably brought in more forwards than they have defenders in, you know, you look at, say, Costa, Rodrigo, Rafinha, etc. So, arguably, you would say um, that they should be bringing in maybe more defenders because to be conceding 46 uh, goals, it's it's not good at Mm. the end of the day and they definitely need to work on that. But I think also, you know, some of these players that they've brought in they are going to get interest from other clubs. And I think it also depends on what happens with some of those big names, well, big names for for Leeds um, that they've got. um, If they end up staying and if they want to be a part of this team and if they want to build on, you know, some of the success that they've had this season um, or if they want to leave, I think what happens with those forwards will determine what they end up doing. But I think, to be honest, they need to be looking across across the pitch really and just thinking you know what we've survived our first season and I think they will need to 100% invest and build on that team in order to go into the next season and not struggle we've seen it happen um, you know especially in the second season of promoted teams and I'm sure well I don't mind if they get unstuck but I'm sure they won't (laughs) want to come unstuck do you know what I mean Uh, Leicester are also still right in the hunt for Champions League football after a late Daniel Amati goal gave them a 2-1 win away at Brighton on Saturday night Uh, Adam Lallana scored his first goal for 503 days to open the scoring but then uh, Kelechi Iheanacho equalised a a lovely dink Um, interestingly Jamie Vardy's now scored just once in his last 11 games do you think he's uh, he's finally slowing down a bit Joel? I think he's been rushed back for an injury because he had groin surgery and then three games later he's back out there playing and you know I'm not sure that's something you can rush back from <laughs> um, but I think they've had to sort of plaster him up and get him out there because of the injuries they've had and, and obviously that's now got worse with the fact that Madison and Barnes are out um, and I as Perez have been out for quite some time as well and um, so I think an issue of him is more sharpness but you know, obviously it's a fair assessment to make because of his age now and whether he could be slowing down and and I, th- I think even this season when he has been scoring and he has been performing, that, that pace that he once had it, it isn't quite there. He's still fast enough, but he's obviously not as rapid as he was. But mm. I, I think it's not too too much to worry about for the Leicester fans. You know, one day they are going to have to replace him. That day is coming. But he's still got the, the movements and an else in the box to cause problems and still be their main striker. And, and I think that's fine. But... You know, Brendan Rodgers alluded to it this week in his pre-match press conference for this game that they are going to start planning for life without Vardy and I'm not sure how that looks just yet but 
One four six. Yeah. Well, the assist for Iheanacho's goal came following a, a nice no look pass from Yuri Tielemans. Are you the sort of person who's impressed by that kind of showboating shenanigans, Angelina? You know what? If you've got it, flaunt it. I don't <laughs> mind a bit of showboating. Do you know what I mean? But, um, but yeah, no, I've, I I do like little moments like that. But I think that they have to be in the correct environment. I'm mm. not saying this was in the wrong environment, but I hate it when. I see players messing about like that when there's a job to do and it can end up with them coming unstuck, etc. So mm. in the right environment and right setting, why not have a little bit of showboating? Yeah. The one I hate is the uh, no-look finish. It's like, oh, what, you looked away while you were tapping the ball in from two yards out. Like, what's? Am I supposed to be impressed by that? I don't. Yeah, really, yeah, I feel like that's one of the main things they teach you, learning to be a footballer, like keep your eye on the ball and focus on where you're shooting it. Don't be messing about. Just, oh, yeah, I'm not looking. Look how cool I am. Like, yeah, but when you miss it, you look like an absolute moron. Exactly, so. yeah. Uh, another disappointing result for Brighton, though. Uh, goalkeeper Robert Sanchez, I think you could say, was at fault for the winning goal. I think he's a good, a good goalkeeper, but he, he really flapped at this cross, didn't he, Joel? Do you think that's one of the worst things you can do as a goalkeeper, flapping it across? It's just, it just always makes me laugh to, to hear people say that. <laughs> you flapped it. Flapping. Yeah. It sounds like a duck for some reason. Yeah, yeah. Is it weird? Because he was great all game. He made some really good saves. But yeah, it's 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 what it does is it inflicts doubt in, in the defenders' minds. Then and every time they get a cross or a set piece coming to the box, the defenders are then going to be worried about what you're doing. Um, which which is why sort of when you're a goalkeeper, you you either coming to claim or you're punching it and. He was neither here or there, and did cost them sadly. But I, it's it's one I'm a Brighton. They just seem to have these things this season that they can't stick the ball in the back of the net, and they do get punished when they make mistakes. And now it's putting them in a bit of trouble, hasn't it? It certainly has. Yeah. All right. Let's have the uh, the top four predictions for this week. Then I'll go first this time. So I'm going to say City, United, Chelsea. I'm, I'm going to row back on my West Ham prediction from last week and say Leicester will get it. For you, Angelina. Oh. I feel like it's going to be City, United. I think it's going to stay as it is at the moment, you know. I'm going to have faith in Leicester. Yeah. I'm going to have faith that despite the injuries, they're going to be able to do it and it's going to stay as it is. City, United, Leicester, Chelsea. And you, Joel? <laughs> I put Liverpool in it last week and then... Yeah, you know, I did the, as well, to be nice to you. <laughs> <laughs> the apocalypse is here, brilliant gone since then. Um, for, for me, City, United, Chelsea and I think... Spurs will end up getting it. Oh, okay, interesting. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Liverpool seven points behind Chelsea now, aren't they? That's uh, not looking not looking too great. Oh, we've got to stay up, mate. That's the that's the priority <laughs> now. Let's we'll just stay up. <laughs> uh, well, uh, well, one team whose priority was well, two teams whose priority was staying up at, at some point this season was Burnley and Arsenal. <laughs> uh, their game finished one one uh, at Turf Moor in a rather eventful game in Saturday's early kickoff. Firstly, Angelina, how did Arsenal not get a penalty for that Eric Peters handball in the first half? I mean, the spotlight is really on referee. <laughs> reason VAR at the moment and they're not helping themselves with stuff like that are they no Peters is a lucky man I will <laughs> say that um I, I do agree that obviously the, the shoulder one and the red card I'll allow but even still I just feel like he was very lucky um as we mentioned before the penalty situation needs some sort of resolution um but that first one um how they didn't get a penalty I've got no idea I've watched it a couple of times it doesn't make logical sense <laughs> this is my issue and like I say there needs to be some kind of change and I even liked the way Arteta was like someone needs to come and explain it to us because 
I'm just as lost as everyone else. I don't get it. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing. You say the the uh, the overturned red card and the, uh, for, for Peters for that one that wasn't a handball. I mean, that to me is like a great example of VAR being used as a force for good. They sort of, the referee gets one look at that. He thinks it's a red card. They have a look and he go, oh, actually it hit his shoulder. Fair enough. Red card rescinded. It just, it's just crazy to me that those two things can happen in the same game yeah. with the same technology, with the same referees, you know, manning the, 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 the VAR. I just don't understand it at all. Um, where are you at with VAR now, Joel? We've had nearly two seasons of it in the Premier League. Have, have you seen enough to convince you that it's worth persisting with or, or should it get in the bin? I mean, it doesn't matter what we think, of course. They'll, they'll do whatever they want, won't they? But I'm really no, conflicted on it myself still, yeah. No, I've, I've been someone who's been actually an advocate for it. And, um, and even this season, I've written articles saying that you know there is a place for VAR in, fo- in the Premier League and in football as a whole. Um, but now it's got to the stage where it, w- it would get in the bin, and it, w- it wouldn't be, you know, wouldn't be sad if they, they got rid of it. And I think it would be for the better, um, because I think the, the bad outweighs the good on it. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's it's players and managers are talking about it this season how they can't really celebrate a goal. It's taken the VAR has taken out the the joy of celebrating the goal. And I think once you do that, it's you know that, that's killing everything that's good about football. And mm-hmm. and, and I think. The the issue is not necessarily getting rid of our what what it is is you've opened a Pandora's box and what football's got to change if they're going to get rid of our and and supporters have and, and we and journalists have and, and we all have we've sort of got to um, accept the referees are going to make mistakes um, and and sort of allow them to do that and, and, and you know let's not forget they're not perfect mm. but the referees also got to there's got to be an improvement on the referee side of things because. You know, they are allowed to make mistakes, but there is a reason why VAR came in, and that's because the standard isn't wasn't good enough, yeah. and it still isn't good enough. So it's got to be an improvement there. Um, and I think the, the two things sort of go in hand in hand, and I, I don't think you get one without the other really, um, because if you're so you're sort of a young person uh, coming into football now, and you, you want to be a you know a footballer or, or a coach, you don't want to be a referee. And one of the reasons behind that is the abuse you get. Yeah. Um, so. The, People have got to change their attitudes towards referees and and not abuse them. Um, if you're going to get the others, because you're not you're going to miss out on people who could be good referees not being referees because they don't want to sort of get the the issue with it. So um, yeah, it's it's a messy one. I'm not sure how it goes away or gets any better anytime soon. Uh, I think we're just going to be stuck with VAR. Aren't yeah. we? <laughs> I keep thinking back to like a thing that people used to say before VAR came along, where it was like you know the game is too fast now. The, the referees and and and, and uh, assistants need help they need some technology to help them and it's like they've got this technology now but why are they still not using it properly i just don't get it like yeah. why why can you not give a penalty for that eric peters one like what was the problem there and this whole idea of oh we don't want to re-referee the game for the referee or it has to be a clear and obvious wrong decision like it just seems to me like you're just getting bogged down in semantics there just if the referee makes a mistake correct it like yeah, it's, it's simple it's, it's yeah. the implementation of it actually yeah. is it not necessarily the issue with VAR it's actually the people using it and again that's the sound of refereeing because the, the, mm. there are referees in that room using VAR um, but it's uh, they've confused uh, they've complicated themselves now and yeah. it's, it's so fun because you don't want to criticise them too much because that is one of the issues but they sometimes make it hard for you not to do that, don't yeah, they? Yeah. Uh, great quote from Sean Dyche after this game. He said, uh, there was some real real good screaming that registered high on the screamometer from Arsenal's players. I mean, I must admit, oh. there was one in the second half where I thought Lacazette's life was in danger. He screamed that loud. And then 30 seconds crazy. later, he was up again and running about. Um, it got me thinking, Angelina, is Sean Dyche all right or is he a bit of a twat? I, I can't really decide. <laughs> do you like him or not? I don't. You know what? He's one of those people where... 
I feel like if you're his mate, he's like a sound guy. But if you cross him, he can be a proper idiot to you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and I feel like he's when he was in school, he was a right grass. I could, <laughs> I could just imagine he was always like, "Oh, miss, he's, someone's done this, and it's not that." Or like he was on a debate team or something. I don't know. Not that there's anything wrong with being on a debate team, but he's very busy. I think sometimes, <laughs> um, maybe a bit too busy. But no, I think he is. Um, He's one of those personalities um, in the Premier League that you enjoy listening to him sometimes. Um, and I think, you know, to be at Burnley as long as he has been, I can understand why, you know, some people are, are really happy with the stuff that he's done at Burnley. I can understand why other people maybe aren't too happy. Mm. Um, he's just one of those mediocre guys that just seems to be just bobbing along nicely. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was with him on the screaming because yeah. lack of that, like... Hand him an Oscar. That's all I've got to say. <laughs> I reckon he tucks his shirt into his jeans on a night out. So get get rid of him. Hundred percent. Yeah, he strikes, yeah he strikes me as the type of guy who has some very strong views on Meghan Markle, doesn't he? Right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> or maybe he doesn't. I don't. This is what I don't know. He's a, he's a bit of an enigma to me. That's Sean. what I mean. Yeah, he's a mixed bag. Yeah, Sean, if you're listening, podcast at onefootball.com. Let us know what you think about Megan <laughs> yeah. and Harry. Yeah, we're dying to know. Uh, Southampton got their first win in 10 Premier League matches when they won 2-0 away at Sheffield United on Saturday. That was Ralph Hasenhutl's 100th game in charge of Saints. So he's got 38 wins, 21 draws, 41 defeats. His points per game is 1.35. What do you think of those numbers, Angelina? I mean, they're, they're definitely numbers, but are they good numbers? <laughs> I don't think they're the best numbers. I mean, maths was never my strong point at school, but... Uh... I think, yeah, not great. Um, I think, I don't know, in my personal opinion, I feel like I was expecting a little bit more from yeah. him. Although when you do look at his time as a manager and things that he's achieved, it's not like he's won a major trophy or something mm. in that people are like, oh, he's going to get them to an FA Cup final and they're going to win, blah, blah, blah. Like, they've just been consistently near the bottom, apart from that 11th spot finish. But they've not managed to build on that. And that is the most frustrating thing is that they've not taken that finish and made something of it and there are some decent players in that team but I don't think he can get the best out of them and if I was a Southampton fan I, I wouldn't be uh, be buzzing to be honest with that <laughs> I'd just be looking at them like yeah the numbers shit numbers and what <laughs> <laughs> yeah well speaking of shit numbers Sheffield United they're going down aren't they Joel officially oh, well not officially but pretty much officially I think we can pretty much write them off can't we mm. um, there was a story in the papers over the weekend that, that Chris Wilder's kind of fallen out with the club's hierarchy a little bit and uh, this you know not, not not very happy with the recruitment plans and the training facilities and there's some suggestion he could get squeezed out in the summer which he's sort of alluded to himself do you think that would be a smart move from the club Speaks about a guy who has harsh views on Meghan Markle. Um, <laughs> well. But um, no, I think actually it would be a bad decision uh, for him to get for Sheffield United to get rid of him because you know we're always sort of to me by going down. To be honest, but if you're thinking about next season and think about getting back up, I don't think there's anyone better for them to, to you know to do that than Chris Wilder, and it's worth keeping him. He, you know, he's still a, the players seem to like him. You're not you're not hearing of him losing the dressing room or any fallouts like that. Um, and you know, you've got to look at Norwich City because they kept Daniel Farker and they're now 10 points good at the top of the championship and look like they're coming back up. So it's that proves sometimes the grass isn't always greener and you, know, you should stick with, with the guy who got up in the first place. And I, and I think that's what the Blade should do, to be honest. Mm. I think if Chris Wilder gets sacked, he's going to blame it on cancel culture, isn't he? 
<laughs> it's gone too far this time. <laughs> uh, Aston Villa and Wolves played out a disappointing goalless draw at Villa Park on Saturday. I saw the Athletics Wolves correspondent Tim Spires tweeting at half-time, it's netto or nothing for Wolves again. It ended up being nothing. And I was thinking last week about how Daniel Pedence was really good earlier in the season. Um, I looked it up, he hasn't played for them since 2nd of February due to injury. Angelina, everyone talks about Raul Jimenez, but do you think uh, Pedence has been a big loss for them too that has, sort of uh, hasn't been talked about too much? I mean, when you're talking about the the biggest like injury in that game, my concern was Villa's um, El Ghazi who had that infected toe. That didn't sound great. Ooh. I'll be honest, that <laughs> did not sound fun. Looking at all the injuries on the whole, that sounded painful. Yeah. Um, I hope he's doing all right. But no, I, I completely agree with that one. Um, I think everybody's quick to point to uh, Raul Jimenez and he has been a massive loss, 100%. But like you mentioned, you know there have been other losses that Wolves have had um, and so yeah I, I think you you can argue that as well um, you know he was very good especially playing more on that right wing you've got Traore obviously there's a lot of there is you know criticism going around of him as well um, looking at who else you've got you know for scoring goals as well you've got you know Fabio Silva still you know very young uh, Jose hasn't really managed to uh, to bring bring the goods so yeah I think definitely you can also um, have Pedence in there as another player that has been a, a big loss for them mm. definitely What about the open goal miss from Roman Saez Joel is that a Premier League Hall of Shame for you up there with uh, that Carney one for West Brom and I don't know who, what's, what's some other bad <laughs> misses Ronnie Rosenthal Rosen, Ronnie Rosenthal yeah <laughs> still can't work out how he did it um, <laughs> Conor Cody should score the first one as well but yeah. the second one I'd still I've watched it back 20 times because it's hilarious, but still can't work out how he's done it. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, apparently, the probability of that chance was 69%, which which is wow. nice. Yeah, yeah. But the XG was <laughs> 0.93. I don't really know how they work these things out, and I couldn't be arsed looking it up either, to be honest. So, uh, again, podcast at onefootball.com if anyone could explain how that works to me. Um, obviously, they, they miss him, but, but do you think, Angelina, that Aston Villa are a significantly worse team without uh, Jack Grealish? I mean, they've scored just one goal without him, three defeats and a draw in that time. Yeah. I, I think they are significantly worse. Uh, I mean, you lose your best player. You're not going to be playing as well, mm. um, especially mm. with a player like Grealish that is so vital in pretty much everything that team does. Um, and I think this is a chance for other players, you know, to stand up and be counted. And we're not really seeing that. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think it's just ridiculously obvious that they lack quite a lot without him. And it will be... Uh, Worrying times for uh, for Villa if Grealish does make a move in the summer. Indeed. Uh, we'll finish with the most nil-nil game there has ever been. Maybe <laughs> the most nil-nil game there will ever be, which took place at the Hawthorns on Sunday. I watched this match in its entirety and I still don't have too much to say about it, to be honest. I mean, Steve Bruce uh, said afterwards it, it was a good point for Newcastle, but that's one win in their last 18. There's rumblings that the players aren't happy. Um, and apparently, you know, according to reports on Monday, Bruce is still no closer to the sack. I mean, Angelina, what exactly do you have to do to get sacked by Mike Ashley, do you think? I'm not sure, you know. <laughs> I'm really not too sure. I mean, it was it was far from an inspiring uh, game, was it? Um, and I don't understand why he's not been sat because from where I'm standing, it's just a really toxic environment. Like, you're playing in the Premier League, you have some players that have the potential to to make that side a, a good side. And if you added a few more, you could be a, a decent team that's at least in the mix in the middle of the table. Um, providing you've got the right management. Um, if Steve Bruce wasn't there, the players would be happier. They'd be feeling more inspired <laughs> with a bit of a fresh start. 
But yet still no sacking. I mean, there was rumours of, what was it, like a £4 million compensation. Maybe that's the issue. Mm. Um, but providing you don't piss Mr Ashley off, then he couldn't care less what you do. Uh, who gets upset? Uh, just play terrible football. Irritate your players. Say ridiculous things, like it's a good point drawing nil-nil with a team that's in 19th. Um, maybe they have a good rapport on WhatsApp. Maybe Steve Bruce sends really good memes. I don't know, um, <laughs> that make him laugh. Maybe he shops in the retail stores that Mike Ashley owns. Maybe he also carries a mobile phone in a plastic carry bag rather than a briefcase. Who knows? <laughs> but, For, I'm yeah. just thinking four million pounds to get sacked. What a, what a world. I'd what be a job. Like, sack me, please. Yeah, please. Sack I'm, be- me I'm begging you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of sackings, I mean, West Brom are, are a step closer to relegation. Um, Sam Allardyce once said that if his name was Aladicio, he would have managed Manchester United by now. But Joel, on, on the sort of flip side of that, if his name was Aladicio, do you think he might have been sacked by West Brom by now? I mean, he, mm. he might, he, you know, he was hired with the, the task of keeping them up, relegation specialist and all that kind of thing. I feel like if he, if he was a sort of unknown foreign name, they would have just pulled the trigger ages ago. Yeah, I think so too. He, he, he seems to have made it worse, actually. He's mm. Sort of like, you know, when you sort of, as a kid, when your mum would, you know, clean the house and clean the floors and you'd come in and put your muddy shoes all over and she's like, oh, I'll just clean these. He's kind of done that. He's, he's only made things worse. And, and I kind of think he said he'd maybe done it for a laugh just because he was bored through lockdown he thought you know yeah. what I'm just going to go come make this situation worse and then pour some kerosene on it because why not um, I, I, I don't know what you're thinking and you know West Brom are down as well aren't they <laughs> yeah, yeah. honestly well, that is that's dangerous territory for Maladice though because it's like mate you didn't get the job at United because you're not a good manager you've been caught up in numerous scandals your name has got nothing to do with it like <laughs> honestly that irritated the life out of me because I just feel like you're a without getting too political you know you're um you're a British white man you're moaning about not having opportunity <laughs> enough opportunities managing Premier League clubs take a seat my friend yeah. calm yourself <laughs> well never mind I mean Allardyce gets sacked Chris Wilder gets sacked they'll get a nice little payoff and they can spend more time on the Daily Mail comment section then can't yeah. they so good, good luck to them um, on that note that's uh, that's where we're going to have to end things today thank you to Angelina Jolie for joining me again the two of, course, of you of course no problem yeah Angelina you've got the women's show coming later this week I, I imagine yes of course we shall be talking about the Women's Super League celebrating International Women's Day and yes all that good stuff wonderful and I'm going to be on the Champions League show on Thursday with Ian as well so that's another thing to look forward to Uh, we'll be back next week for the Premier League Weekend Review podcast where we'll be talking about uh, such delights as the North London Derby so that's definitely something to look forward to Uh, in the meantime as I say it's podcast at onefootball.com for the emails or you can tweet us at onefootball and uh, and take care of yourselves and we'll see you next week